turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John chapter 3. I've been preaching with the church at Tyler the last couple of months uh, through the book of John, and we've just arrived at chapter 3, but I want to jump into the middle of that chapter. But by way of context, the gospel that John writes is distinct from the other gospels. We're familiar with the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very much similar. They're a chronological telling of the ministry of Christ, the story of Jesus, of what he did, the miracles he performed. They begin with his birth, they end with his death, and and they follow along the same basic timeline and chronology. Those gospels were written roughly around the same period of time from maybe around 50 A.D. until around the late 60s A.D. The Gospel of John was written sometime later, and the Gospel of John was written in a totally different approach with a totally different set of controversies that were abounding. When the first Gospels were written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they were written to tell the story of Jesus to a people who had not heard or lived the ministry of Jesus, and it was to confirm that, yes, indeed, Jesus did come, He did perform these miracles, He did teach these lessons, and they laid out the Gospel. That was a time early in the history of the church when there wasn't a whole lot of controversy about what it meant to be a believer in Jesus Christ or what it meant to be a Christian. The question was, are you a Christian or are you something else? But by the time John writes his gospel, there's division arising among those who call themselves Christians. And there are professing Christians who have taken their eyes off of Jesus Christ and who he is as God manifest in the flesh. And they began to to assert a Christian religion that is more man-centric, focused on them, upon their desires and their needs. And along with that, there was a group called the Gnostics who were all about what you could know about righteousness and truth and what you could know about yourself. Their mantra was very much one of know thyself. And along with that, they they wanted to repudiate anything fleshly, anything real and physical, and assert that only the Spirit matters. And there was a denial that Jesus Christ was actually God incarnate in human flesh. There were a lot of associated heresies that came along with that. And John the Apostle, the last living apostle, writes this gospel to assert not the details of the chronology of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, so much as the person, the character, and the message of Jesus Christ. And it complies completely with the message of the other gospels, but is presented in a slightly different manner. For that reason, John doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. He begins with, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is God. They are one and the same. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. He then goes on to say, the Word was made flesh and it dwelt among us. Christ was made flesh. This is a slap in the face to all of those Gnostics who say he was not fleshly. And flesh is always wrong. It's always bad. John's going to assert that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became flesh. And he continues to be flesh, but glorified and holy flesh. And John's going to point us to the reality of the Christian faith, the reality of truth That we are one day going to dwell with God in glorified fleshly bodies. 
Because we are going to be made like unto Jesus Christ. So he presents this gospel of Jesus describing the person, the character, and the message of Jesus without too much attention to the details of the chronology and the everyday events. In fact, as we look at this gospel, he begins in the beginning of his ministry with his his approach and baptism by John, but he rapidly accelerates and most of the gospel of John probably takes place in the last year of Jesus' earthly ministry. But the message is essential. We come to chapter 3 and it begins with a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. A man who's seen the miracles that Jesus has performed because he's evidently been ministering for a period of time at this point. He's heard the words that Jesus speaks and he realizes that this is a man of God. But Nicodemus is afraid to declare that faith. Because he's a Pharisee, he's a leader of the Jews, and they have no interest in the Son of God coming and upsetting their authority structure, upsetting what they are about. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus tells him, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and goes on through that discussion to essentially tell Nicodemus, if you believe, it's because you have been born of the Spirit of God, and you have to acknowledge that reality in your life. You can't live in a, in a divided life between two positions. You've got to follow that which is true And the Holy Spirit is the difference maker in that. In verse 10, he answered and said to them, Art thou a master in Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say to you, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Jesus is confronting Nicodemus right where he lives. Because Nicodemus has understood some truth, but it's inconvenient for Nicodemus. He doesn't want to receive it. And how many of us find ourselves from time to time in that position? We know what's right, we know what's true, but it would be so much more convenient if we didn't know it. It'd be more convenient for us to say, we just don't know, we don't understand. The disciples found themselves there pretty frequently. You remember in uh, the latter chapters here of John's Gospel, John 14, I believe it is, one of the disciples, if I remember correctly, it was Thomas, says, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. We're always looking for a little bit more information, a little bit more incentive to encourage us to do the right thing. Well, Jesus confronts Nicodemus here and he says, you've known, I've told you. You've understood. So what are you going to do with it? And so often that's how the gospel hits us as truth is revealed in our lives. It's not a question of whether we have the knowledge. It's are we going to do with it what it compels and commands us to do? And that's the message Jesus gets into. We're all familiar with the verses around 15 and 16, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have, ever, have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to start in verse 17 for our text this morning. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What I want you to think about this morning is this verse and these verses that immediately follow. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. Now, there are a lot of professing Christians today, maybe even some that you know, maybe even you yourself, who have this idea that Jesus Christ came into the world to condemn the world. You see, if you believe the only real effective cause of condemnation is rejecting Jesus Christ, then by coming into the world and presenting himself to the world, Jesus didn't do the world a favor. Because rejecting Jesus Christ, if that is the cause of condemnation, he just introduced condemnation into the world. But Jesus says the Son did not come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world that through him the world might be saved. And sometimes we need to take everything we think we understand and believe and apply the scripture to it and flip it on, on its head. Jesus Christ came into the world to save the world. Well, let's think about this. What do we know about mankind by nature? What do we know about the world? Well, men are dead, right? They're dead in sins. In Adam, all died, but in Christ shall all be made alive. Condemnation was in the world. It was in the world from almost the very beginning of the world. What's condemnation? Well, condemnation was the rejection of God's word. God spoke. He created Adam with his own voice. He gave him life. He gave him breath. And he gave him a command. Of every tree of the garden, of all the fruit of the garden, you may freely eat. Except one tree, of that tree, the one of knowledge and good and evil, you shall not eat. Because in the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And Adam, as all men are prone to do, without the predisposition to sin that we have, he introduced sin into the world. Because he partook of the fruit that he knew he shouldn't. He didn't obey God's word. Well, isn't it interesting? That's exactly the problem Nicodemus is having here. Nicodemus says, I know you're a man of God. I know you're a prophet sent from God. I know that you are of God. But I'm not willing to follow you. I'm not willing to believe you. I'm not willing to trust your word. Well, Adam disobeyed God. And Adam brought condemnation upon himself and all of his progeny. In Adam, Paul writes, all died. So condemnation existed in the world. And this condemnation is manifest from the time of Adam until our day today. The world is condemned. So Jesus Christ coming into the world did not come to condemn the world or change the state of any individual from life to death. Why? Because we were all dead. And that's the focus John wants us to have when we consider the ministry of Christ, the person of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the message of Christ. Is that Jesus Christ didn't come into the world to condemn the world. If we can understand that, that'll change how we present the gospel and how we think about the gospel. We're not out trying to figure out who's going to hell. Because everyone is going to hell unless Jesus Christ changes something in them and imputes to them His righteousness, His holiness, and gives them a home in heaven. So the Son was not sent by God into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And one of the essential messages of John throughout his gospel is this. Jesus Christ is the only way. 
Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He came into the world that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Now that's a message Nicodemus needed to hear because Nicodemus is is stuck between two. Does he believe or does he reject? And Jesus says, he that believeth is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is a second approach to a message John presents in the first chapter of this gospel. Because remember, he said that the Son came into the world. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He says of Jesus in verse 9 of chapter 1, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Does it matter what you believe? Jesus says it does matter. But notice, Jesus came not to condemn the world. And the way he explains this in verse 18 is extremely important. The ones that believe on him are not condemned. He makes this a statement of fact, of reality. If you believe on Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. The Apostle Paul, by inspiration, writes about that in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But what about those who don't believe? Well, he that believeth not is condemned already. Are they condemned because of their unbelief? No, that's not what he says. They do not believe. Why? Because they are condemned. The ones that don't believe, they're already condemned. You see, your condemnation doesn't come only when you reject the message of the gospel. Condemnation starts before that. We are all born in sin. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. And that's the state of every individual. We all start out in the same condition. It's a condition of condemnation. So for that reason, the gospel is a glorious message. Because when the gospel comes, if we hear the gospel, if we receive the gospel, that's evidence something has changed in us. And that's evidence that we are no longer in the state of condemnation. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He's already condemned. Why? Because he cannot see the Son of God. Now Jesus is speaking to one who has seen him, who has heard him. He says this is the reality. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world... And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Interesting proposition he makes there. The condemnation, the real condemnation is that light has come and you've chosen darkness instead of light. Well, this might hit too close to home with some of us. How many of us have seen the light but we seem to drift toward darkness? We choose the way that we know is wrong. What does that say about us? Well, he says the ultimate condemnation is those who see the light 
or to whom the light comes, and they choose darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Now Jesus came into a world of people who had been prepared for his coming. The Jewish people among whom he was born, among whom he lived and ministered, they had received for well over a thousand years the weekly, daily instruction from God's Word, the prophecy of Jesus' coming. They participated in sacrificial offerings that were typical of the sacrifice of the Son of God who was to come. They were professing that they were looking for the coming Messiah, and they were prepared in that way. Furthermore, as he tells us in John chapter 1, a There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he wasn't the light, but he was come to bear witness of the light. And he was come to prepare the way for the Lord. In Matthew's Gospel we read, as Jesus says, that this is that Elijah who was to come. The one who was to prepare the way to make a highway for your God. These people were prepared for the coming of the Savior. They were prepared for His coming as much as anyone naturally can be. And these Pharisees, these people who continually sought to oppress Jesus, they saw His miracles. They saw His power. They heard Him speak and even confessed in one place, never man spake like this man. And yet they were determined to reject Him. They did not value Him. They didn't like the message. They didn't like the man. And Jesus says this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world And men love darkness rather than light. Well, that's no different now than it was then. We live in a nation that was founded at a time when God providentially arranged it so that His people had drawn near to Him. His gospel was proclaimed, it was preached. And it became a centerpiece of our nation's cultural heritage and identity. And yet, what have we done as a nation? We've turned aside. Why? We've preferred darkness to the light of His Word. And His Word has been twisted, it's been corrupted, it's been changed. So that that which is good is called evil, and that which is evil is called good. And we see this going on around us. And what is that evidence of? The condemnation that is in this world. That light is come, and men have chosen darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. And what is the church of Jesus Christ other than a witness of that light? What did Jesus say in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, ye are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hid. Do men light a candle and put it under a bushel? What are we to do? We're to shine forth with the light of Jesus Christ, of His Word. That's our purpose. That's our place. But we're not going to be widely received. We're not going to be as influential as we might hope to be. Maybe sometimes we're going to grow discouraged because it seems like people just won't hear. We might cry out to God, why will they not listen? Well, one of the other emphases in John's gospel is that Jesus Christ didn't maintain the following that one might think he would have had. 
In fact, John very quickly shows us how popular Jesus became through the works of miracles that he performed, through the word that he preached, through the feeding of thousands with food that they didn't have to work for. And in John chapter 6, it kind of reaches a crescendo. There's thousands of people gathered to hear the Savior preach. And Jesus Christ is preaching a message that they have a hard time hearing. But they're willing to come, they're willing to be there, they're willing to even call themselves his followers so long as they're able to eat of the bread and the fishes that they don't have to work for. And Jesus is taking loaves and fishes and breaking them and passing them out. And of enough to feed one or two individuals, he's feeding thousands. And it's miraculous. So the people are following him to this point. And they're asking questions and Jesus is giving them answers and they're struggling with it. And finally the Pharisees come and they come in this instance and they say to him... Moses gave us bread from heaven. What are you doing? Jesus says, I am the bread. And he says, it's not about your physical well-being. It's not about what you're going to get out of my service. It's about who I am. And following me means more than getting what you want. Following me is, about, is not about earthly comforts. It's not about good food to eat. It's not about clothes to wear, places to live. It's not about the respect of your peers or your fellows. Following me is about being partakers of my affliction, being partakers of my suffering. In fact, Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. And if you're going to follow me, you need to partake of me. You need to eat of my flesh. You need to drink of my blood. You need to consume all that I am. Again, this is John emphasizing Jesus Christ is physical, fleshly humanity. And he does that continuously in his ministry. In 1 John chapter 1, what does he say? We're telling you about Jesus whom we've handled, who we've heard with our ears, we've seen with our eyes, we've touched. He's real. But Jesus says you have to partake of all of me, including the suffering, including the rejection, including... That which the world rejects. Why? Because their deeds are evil. And this multitude of people, greater than 6,000 people, scatter. They disperse. And Jesus is left with a small group. I don't know how many. At least the 12 disciples. Probably not many more. His small little entourage is left. And Jesus turns to them and says, Will you also go away? And Peter, speaking for the 12, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. If we're there, we're not condemned. Because we believed on Jesus Christ. And if we believe on Jesus Christ, we don't need anything or anyone else. We don't need this world's goods. We don't need the fellowship of our peers. We don't need the accolades that the world has to offer. We don't need anything except Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, we have everything that is of value. So Jesus says, I didn't come into this world to condemn the world. No, the world was doing a good enough job on its own. The world was already condemned. Jesus Christ came because of the condemnation of the world to save. To save his people, as the angel said, from their sins. And he did his work. He did what he came to do. In fact, he says in the same gospel, I have finished the work. I finished the work. And he meant it. 
This is the condemnation. The light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Let's not diminish this, this statement, this important statement. Light is come into the world. We're not in darkness anymore. If you've believed on Jesus Christ, if you've received His Word, the Gospel, you are not in darkness. So don't live like you're in darkness. Don't act like you're in darkness. Don't embrace this attitude Nicodemus is embracing in this chapter, saying, I just don't know what is truth. Don't stumble around in darkness saying, what is truth? Because light is come into the world. Jesus Christ is light, and He is life. And that life that is Christ, it is the light of men. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look upon Jesus. He is the light. And Jesus makes this statement very clearly. Light is come into the world. John embraced that truth. And you know, John endured a lot of suffering. Later in his life and ministry, the Apostle John was afflicted in various ways. We don't know really where to define the difference between truth and legend. But what we do know is he was beaten, he was afflicted, he was imprisoned, he was exiled on the island of Patmos for a lengthy period of time. He was rejected by some of the saints among whom he had labored. He was kicked out of church that he had established and he was forced in his ancient years past 90 years old maybe to 100 or beyond he was forced to fight the toughest fight of his life to defend the truth against heresies that threatened the very identity of the church of Jesus Christ so he knew what it was to suffer but in one of his last epistles 1 John he closes out the epistle in this manner He says, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. What's the condemnation? The light has come. They've chosen darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. 1 John concludes with this idea. The whole world lieth in wickedness, but we know that we are of God. And that's not all we know. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is eternal life. What? That we may know Him. And in His Gospel, Jesus Christ says those exact words. This is eternal life. What? That we may know Him. So light has come into the world. We know this. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The evildoers in this world are going to do their evil, and they're not going to come to the light. They're going to avoid the light. It's a natural truth. Those who desire to break in and to steal, those who desire to do evil works, they prefer to do those works in the darkness when they can't be seen. Part of my profession is security and surveillance, and we have to make cameras that have infrared uh, uh, spotlights on them so we can see what's going on in the dark. Why? Because that's when criminals like to act. Well, it's true in the spiritual realm as well. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. What does light do? It exposes things. Light makes evident what is previously unseen. You can't come near the light of Jesus Christ without your sins being laid bare. The gospel compels repentance. 
the gospel when it was first preached by John the Baptist was what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Christ is coming near. The light has come. Repent of your evil deeds. And the life of a Christian is daily confession and daily repentance. Daily exposition of the worst of ourselves. If we're going to draw near to Christ, we're going to be exposed. The evil ones, the evildoers, the ones that do evil hate the light, neither come to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. The underlying message here is don't expect people to flock to the gospel and to the church. Don't be dismayed when you're living a life in Christ and you're proclaiming Christ's word and you're sharing it with everyone who will listen and many are turning aside. Don't be dismayed. Jesus Christ wasn't. Jesus Christ had thousands desert him. And it wasn't because his message wasn't true. It wasn't because he said the wrong things. It was because their deeds were evil. This is condemnation. They're condemned already. Because they have not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. The evidence is clear. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. This is an important verse as Jesus closes this message. The ones that do truth come to the light. What's drawn you to the light? Is it your righteousness? No. He doesn't say, interestingly enough, he that doeth righteousness. He says he that doeth truth. Can you handle the truth? The truth that you're a sinner? The truth that in you dwelleth no good thing? Are you willing to come to the light and be exposed? But notice he doesn't say that when they come to the light... The revelation is their evil works. It's not because they don't have them. Believe me, sin is not just some word we toss about. Sin is actual deeds. It's lies that we tell. It's it's ungodly thoughts that we have. It's, It's actions that we commit and we all have them. But don't wonder when your brother or sister is exposed as a sinner. We're all sinners. What the light reveals in the child of God is that there is something righteous. There is something good. The revelation is not that there are evil deeds, that there are evil works. The revelation is that there are works wrought in God. And that is a wonder. You see, the difference between a child of God and one who is of the non-elect is that in a regenerate child of God, there is something good. No matter how small, if there's any good in you, it is something that God has wrought in you. And that point is made clear as Paul writes to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 2. And he says, you used to be like everyone else in the world. You used to be dead in trespasses and in sins. And you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The same spirit that now worketh among the children of disobedience. But God, but God, but God who is rich in mercy 
For his great love wherewith he loved you, even while you were dead in sins, quickened us together with Christ. God made all the difference. By grace are you saved. Through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And we are his workmanship. We're His workmanship. God is working in you. Working something the world can't comprehend. Working something good out of that which is only evil. That which was condemned through Jesus Christ is now saved. And that's the message Jesus has for Nicodemus. He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest. It's hard to come to the light. Because coming to the light does expose our sins. And man by nature in his condemned state wants to appear to be righteous. He wants people to think good of him, speak well of him. We all want that. As believers, as Christians, we want to put on this pretty face and make everyone believe that we found Jesus and now we've got it all together. But in doing so, we're only lying to ourselves and others. Coming to the light means being vulnerable and being exposed and being shown for what we are. But coming to the light means that work of Christ in us is exposed as well. And that gives hope. That gives joy. That gives something to rejoice in. That His deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. The reality is, as the gospel declares over and over again, there's a day coming when this world is going to be wrapped up. Jesus describes it this way. He says that the king, the judge, is going to sit on his throne. And all nations will be gathered before him, and on his left hand will be those called goats, on his right hand those called sheep. And he's going to talk about their deeds, about their works. And the interesting thing there is, as Jesus describes this day, when he says that he's going to say to those on their right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit a kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick and in prison, you visited me. All of these things he says, the response of those sheep is, When did we do these things? And similarly, those on the left hand, when he says, Depart from me, cursed and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He says, Because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. When I was sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. And they're going to say, When didn't we do these things? The reality is, the work of God is indelible. The work of God is unchangeable. The work of God is not about us. And the reason Jesus Christ came was not about us. It was not because He had some desperate desire, some desperate need of us. Quite the contrary. Jesus Christ came for His own glory. For His own purpose to work His own will. But by His grace, He revealed Himself to us and in us. And He gave us the gospel and He gave us the church and He gave us the fellowship of the saints. And He gave us directions by which we're to live. Why? Because we are His workmanship. 
We are created in Christ Jesus. And because we are in Christ Jesus, we know the Son of God has come. We know He's given us an understanding. And we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. We'll be delivered. Because the Son of God was not sent to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And praise be to God, if He came to save, He's successful. Because one of His essential characteristics as God is that He always does what He desires to do. If He didn't, He wouldn't be God. So what do we do? Are we going to come to the light? Are we going to take that exposure? Are we going to be vulnerable? Do we love one another? For Jesus Christ's sake, knowing as Paul said, if He saved me, the chief of sinners, I'm an example for others. Are we going to deal with one another in love, in charity, in compassion, recognizing the work of God and rejoicing in it? That's the message that John presents in this gospel. It's a message that says, get your focus off of yourself and what you can do to obtain favor with God and recognize there's nothing you can do. But then recognize that if you believe on Him, it's because He's already done the work. And come to the light. And let the light work in you. Because the wondrous truth of the gospel is that the work of Christ isn't finished when we're born of the Spirit or when we're saved to heaven. The work of Christ in us is not done when He died upon the cross and rose again for our justification. But the work of the Holy Spirit in each child of God is a continuous work, a work of sanctification that culminates on that last day when our bodies, which will most likely be slumbering in the grave, are raised again in perfection and holiness, like unto the glorious body of Jesus Christ. Because for you, who are in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation, and there's no separation from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you for your attention.